Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Book Network podcast. I am Deidre Tyler. Today, we'll be talking with Dr. Martin Abrahamson and Dr. Sen G. Chopra, authors of Conquer Your Diabetes, Prevention, Control, and Remission. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for inviting us. Pleasure yeah. to be with you. Delighted to be on the show. Tell the audience about yourselves and how you became interested in this project. Um, I'll let Sanjeev start and I'll follow on. So I'm a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, and I have served as the faculty dean for continuing medical education at Harvard Medical School for 12 years. Martin Abramson is a dear colleague, like a brother to me. And he and I also direct the Division of Continuing Medical Education at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, Harvard Medical School. We run courses in Boston and Santa Fe and Singapore, Kuwait. And we've known each other for 30 years. And Martin is a world-renowned expert in diabetes. I've written several other books. And when COVID hit and there was lockdown, we thought there was an opportunity to write some books. And so we thought we should write a book about diabetes, how one can live a full life, can have a fulfilling and rewarding life with diabetes. What can we do to prevent it? What can we do to control it? What can we do to put it into remission? And so we put together these 25 uh, chapters and the book got an uh, amazing amount of advanced praise from colleagues around the country, around the world, academicians, few of our patients. Where we also tell a number of very, very inspiring stories of our own patients who have lived beyond 90, who have some of them, a person we contacted, we didn't know before, who climbed the highest 
mountain, Mount Everest, and then climbed all the major peaks in all the, the highest peaks in all the continents and did a trip to the North and South Pole. And this is an individual who had to check his blood sugar repeatedly while climbing and adjust the insulin dose. So we want this to be a very upbeat, inspiring book for people, a billion people in the world afflicted with diabetes and prediabetes. So um, I'll uh, tell you a little bit about myself. I'm an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Um, I came to the United States in 1992 from South Africa, where I was head of the endocrine unit at Hrutsky Hospital, um, University of Cape Town. And it was to set up a program in diabetes at what was then the Beth Israel Hospital. Um, through mergers with Beth Israel and Deaconess Medical Center uh, and the formation of Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center, there was a relationship established with Joslin Diabetes Center. And I moved over to run uh, a section at the Joslin Diabetes Center of Adult Diabetes and then uh, became the chief medical officer at uh, the Joslin Diabetes Center for almost 10 years uh, before transitioning out of that role. Um, and in my years of practice, uh, I have focused um, particularly the last 30 years on people with diabetes and looking after people with diabetes and trying to understand the challenges that many of them, that almost all of them actually have on a day-to-day -day basis, whether they have type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes. Um, and Sanjeev had always, for many years, said to me, you've got to write a book on diabetes. You, you have the knowledge and uh, you have so many patients and because of COVID, the opportunity arose. And um, we decided, put this book together, tell the stories about the people that inspire us and make us so passionate about what we do on a day-to-day -day basis in caring for people with diabetes. And at the same time, inform the reader uh, that while diabetes has many potential ramifications and complications, they need not occur with uh, good control, taking care of yourself. And if you have type 2 diabetes, you could potentially get your diabetes into remission with significant weight loss. If you have type 1 diabetes, there are many tools at your disposal that you can use to maintain good glucose control. And there's clear evidence that if you look after yourself well and keep your sugars under good control, the risk of developing the complications of diabetes that we've known exist for many years uh, are mitigated, reduced significantly. So this was the inspiration. At the end of the day, it was to um, really inspire people with diabetes or those at risk with, for diabetes or family members of people who have diabetes that they can lead completely normal and fulfilling lives. When we look at the demographics, can you tell us who's more likely to get the diabetes? Well, there are two types of diabetes. There's type 1, which is what we call an autoimmune disease, um, where the body destroys the body it destroys its own cells that produce insulin. Um, that's got some genetic predisposition, but there's a lot of factors that contribute to its causation that we don't fully understand. Then there's type two diabetes, which also has a genetic predisposition, but um, there's a lot of lifestyle factors that contribute to increased risk for type 2 diabetes, and that is um, leading sedentary lives, weight gain, 
the the correlation of the obesity epidemic with the increased prevalence of type two diabetes is um, huge. So um, that's the commonest cause. Type two diabetes accounts for ninety five percent of people with di- uh, diabetes. Type one is much less common. Um, and there's, again, not much at the moment that we can do about it. But if you are at risk for type 2 diabetes, you can do something about it. And if you develop prediabetes, which is defined as glucose levels that are just short of diabetes but not quite normal, uh, we know that losing some weight and exercising regularly can reduce your risk for developing type 2 diabetes by nearly 60%. And we know that people who lose a lot of weight who have diabetes can also uh, get their diabetes to, re- to go into remission. Um, we can talk more about that during the program, but there's ways of reducing weight, which are not just dietary, but also there's bariatric surgery if all other options are fail. And bariatric surgery is um, hugely successful and probably the most successful way of maintaining weight loss and reversing diabetes or getting diabetes into remission. Now, once the person has diabetes, what can that person do in terms of lifestyle change? So we often put type 2 diabetes and a term called insulin resistance, which means the pancreas is making insulin, but the cells are not responding to the action of that insulin. So type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, hypertension, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, a liver condition called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which now afflicts 70 to 100 million Americans under a rubric called metabolic syndrome. And unfortunately and sadly, with the burgeoning epidemic of obesity in our country, 60% of individuals over the age of 60 years 50 to 60% have metabolic syndrome. So we have to address the person as a whole and address all these issues. And by losing weight, and one doesn't have to lose, someone is 100 pounds overweight, they don't have to lose 100 pounds. They can have amazing benefits by losing 9%, 6%, 7% of excess body weight. Uh, remarkable benefits. So in the book, we we have 25 chapters, and we start with the discovery of insulin, the history of diabetes, and then we even have checklists, you know, what the patient needs to do on a regular basis. We have the vaccination schedule that is specially geared towards diabetics, the promise of stem cells. We talked about remission that can happen in type 2 diabetes with weight loss, One of the diets is called intermittent fasting. There are at least three patients published in the literature who put their diabetes into remission with intermittent fasting, which is basically if my last morsel of food is at 6 p.m., I don't eat anything till the next morning, 10 a.m. I can have black coffee in the morning. And one of the patients had been on insulin for 25 years. We have a brilliant colleague at Harvard Medical School. He heads the Harvard Stem Cell Institute. And he is passionate about finding a cure for type 1 diabetes because his two children have type 1 diabetes. 
And for the first time, this was reported about nine months ago, a patient with type 1 diabetes who got stem cells appears to have been cured. So remarkable discoveries happening, continuous glucose monitoring, new medications. There's a game changer for a weight loss drug that has been shown in a third uh, phase study uh, with a higher dose given once a week as an injection. At the end of 72 weeks, average weight loss was 52 pounds. This will likely turn out to be a trillion dollar drug. It's going to be expensive when it comes out. But um, there's so much happening in in medicine and also in, in, in diabetes in particular that we thought we should write this book and try and inform and inspire the readers. I want to just um, add a little bit to that in terms of the, you know, what people can do with type 2 diabetes. The, the, the diet that Sanjeev mentioned is one of many diets that uh, are, have been attempted and shown to be of benefit. Uh, we think that the most important thing for any individual with diabetes is to have a frank and honest discussion with their, with their provider with their provider to talk about to talk about what diet works best for them. Um, the work, the diet that's most successful is the one that you can stick to. Um, and so, generally speaking, lowering your uh, intake of calories, a lot of a lot of a way to do that is to reduce carbohydrate intake because the body cannot deal with carbohydrates as well as it normally would do if you didn't have diabetes. But reducing caloric intake, increasing activity, working with a team of individuals to help the individual with diabetes to um, to conquer their diabetes, to overcome the challenges. And as Sanjeev says, the importance is that a lot of weight does not need to be lost to achieve benefit. You can lose five, six, seven, eight percent of your body weight. And you can see remarkable benefits, not just in glucose, but in your blood pressure, in your cholesterol, and even in reversing some of the fatty changes in the liver that Sanjeev spoke about with in, in terms of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Exercise, again, you don't have to do intense exercise, just relatively brisk walking, 30 minutes a day, five days a week. That's the recommendation, 150 minutes per week of moderately intense exercise can go a long way towards improving your glucose control. And then, of course, as Sanjeev said, the medications, they are game-changing medications that can help people not only lower their glucose, but can also facilitate weight loss uh, and also have benefit in terms of reducing risk for cardiovascular disease. And we know that people with type 2 diabetes are at increased risk for cardiovascular disease. So huge advances. And again, we thought that the, the reader needs to hear about and read about all of these advances in one comprehensive manuscript. In your book, you talked about Metforum. Tell us more about this, this drug and how it helps. Metformin. Metformin, Metformin is the one of the oldest drugs available to treat people with type 2 diabetes. It's been around for nearly 70 years now. It's a medication that helps the body um, lower insulin resistance, primarily by uh, shutting off excessive production of glucose that the liver makes as part of this problem of insulin resistance, but also helping the insulin work more effectively in the rest of the body. 
That's its main action. It's been around for a long time. It's generic. It's cheap. It's effective. And usually that's the first medication that people uh, are started on, but not necessarily always. Yeah, and the side effects are extremely rare. And there's actually suggestive data that patients who take metformin may live longer. It may be linked to longevity. Not proven, but we have colleagues who are professors of medicine at Harvard Medical School, and some of them don't have diabetes, but take metformin every single day. We also talk about uh, coffee in the book. Coffee is the most common beverage consumed in the world now. 2.25 billion cups of coffee consumed every day. And people who drink coffee have a lower risk of seven common cancers. But uh, pertinent to this discussion, if they drink six cups of regular or decaf coffee, they have a 40 to 54% reduction in developing type 2 diabetes. And if somebody already has type 2 diabetes and they drink two cups, regular or decaf, 30% reduction in cardiovascular death, mortality. So we've put together all of this in the book. Um, I don't think we left any stone unturned. The only thing that we haven't done is put in stuff that has subsequently come out about diabetes that wasn't available at the time of writing this manuscript. This is a very very current book. Um, and it includes a lot of the history of diabetes. It includes the history of insulin. Uh, we were very keen to get this book published um, in January of this year. January of this year marked the 100th anniversary of the first injection of insulin given to any human being uh, in Toronto, Canada. A young man at the age of 13 called Leonard Thompson, who had type 1 diabetes, who was destined to die within months of the diagnosis He lived for another 13 years before, unfortunately, succumbing to pneumonia, not even complications of diabetes. So we talk about insulin. We talk about the new medications for type 2 diabetes. We talk about the ways that you can reduce the risk for getting uh, eye complications of diabetes, how um, laser treatment and new new injectable therapies have reduced the risk of blindness in diabetes by over 90% which is staggering. Now, how does having a positive attitude play a role in the management of diabetes? You know, a positive attitude plays a role in life. So Winston Churchill once said, a pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity, an optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. So I think it's good for us to have a very, very positive attitude in life. We even in the book talk about complementary medicine and talk about the role of meditation, mindfulness. I think if people have a positive attitude, they have a better immune system. They are more likely to take care of themselves, to take care of their family, to make the appointments, with the physicians, the nurses, the nutritionists, the ophthalmologist, and everyone they need to do. So, so absolutely wonderful question. For I sure. think it's so important for all of us 
to have a positive upbeat attitude. There's um, uh, there's another quote from Winston Churchill, which is actually in the book, and it is, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. Um, and it exemplifies one of the patients that we talk about in the book is a woman who lived with type 1 diabetes for over 82 years, a patient of mine who I'd known for almost 20 years when she uh, after she came first came to see me. Um, and she... Uh, told her story actually at one of our medical meetings to physicians how in 1937 she was diagnosed and how she had to how she basically lived through every advance in diabetes that there was and how she embraced every advance in diabetes therapy or monitoring that there was how um, she conquered and overcame some of the challenges that she faced in her life and some of the complications that she faced in her life but she dealt with them and she had an amazing attitude which resulted in her getting a standing ovation at that meeting. She'd also spoken the year before at the American Diabetes Association meeting uh, telling her story and once again also got a standing ovation from the audience. It's people like that that not only inspire us uh, to continue to, to help people with diabetes, but also we felt need to inspire other people who read the book. Now, you said there were people who didn't even know they had diabetes. Wow. What about that in our population? Well, unfortunately, in the United States, nearly 25% of the people with type 2 diabetes don't know that they have it. Diabetes can be a silent disease, type 2 diabetes in particular, because it's only when blood glucose levels are really high that people develop the symptoms related to the high blood sugar levels. When blood sugars are mildly elevated, and they can certainly cause a lot of damage when they're only mildly elevated, many people have no symptoms. And so unless they are screened for diabetes, which is what is recommended by the American Diabetes Association and other organizations in this country, that people over the age of 35 should be screened routinely for diabetes and earlier if there are risk factors. Unless they are screened, many people walk around without knowing they have diabetes. And in fact, uh, a study done many years ago in people who were newly diagnosed with diabetes showed that a, a fairly significant percentage of them already had complications at the time of diagnosis, which means that they had had diabetes for a number of years beforehand. You know, ironically, uh, people with diabetes who, let's say, fall and hurt themselves and then wind up in the emergency room to get checked out to see if they have a fracture, routinely, the doctors and nurses in the emergency room do a set of blood tests, and one of them is to check your blood sugar. And if the blood sugar is high, they say to the patient, do you have diabetes? And they say, no. And, and they say, you know, after we take care of your trauma, make sure you check with your primary care doctor and get tested. So those are the lucky ones. They might get tested uh, and diagnosed earlier. The ones, as Martin said, with complications, they may present with diabetic ketoacidosis, if the fasting blood sugar should be around 100, they show up and they are comatose and they're very, very ill and their blood sugar is 800, 600. We don't want to make the diagnosis at that stage. And there's also, unfortunately, people with type 2 diabetes sometimes are only diagnosed when they've had a heart attack. Yeah. About a third of people admitted to a hospital 
this was a study published some years ago, at least a third of people admitted with a heart attack did not know that they had diabetes, which was diagnosed at the time of their admission to the hospital. So our, our urge for any listener here is if you're 35 years of age or older and you have not been screened for diabetes, please talk to your physician and ask your physician to screen you for diabetes. If and that's a very simple blood test. Very easy blood test. Routine. And if you are younger than 35, but you have risk factors, if you happen to be overweight um, or, and you have a family history of type 2 diabetes or you've had a previous history um, of uh, gestational diabetes, if you're a female who had diabetes d- during pregnancy and it went away after pregnancy, if you have a condition called polycystic ovarian syndrome, um, if you have high blood pressure or high cholesterol, these are factors that increase risk for diabetes. If you have any of those together with being overweight, even if you're 20 years of age, you should be screened for diabetes. Now, you talked about diabetes in the eyes. Tell us about that. So diabetes, uh, there are a number of complications that can occur with long-standing diabetes, particularly if it's not well controlled. And these are complications that affect small blood vessels and in particular affect certain organs, the eye, the back of the eye, the retina, which is important for sight, the kidney, um, and the peripheral nerves, the nerves that uh, particularly supply the sensation to the feet. Um, And these small vessels can become uh, impacted upon by the high blood sugars with the result that there is um, loss of oxygen supply to these organs and that results in complications. In the case of the eye, it increases the risk ultimately for blindness because there can be bleeding and, um, and uh, what we call uh, ischemia of uh, parts of the back of the eye, the retina. In the kidney, it can lead to leakage of, of albumin and then protein in the urine and ultimately impact kidney function. And in terms of the peripheral nerves, it can cause diminution in sensation, which increases the risk of damaging the feet because people can't feel as much as they can do. Then diabetes can affect the bigger blood vessels of the, of the, of the body that serve the heart and serve uh, nerve supply to the, uh, uh, blood supply to the feet and blood supply to the brain. So diabetes is a, uh, people with diabetes are at increased risk for heart attacks, for strokes, and for uh, what we call peripheral vascular disease. Glucose control. How can you control that glucose? You can control your glucose through what we call a multidisciplinary approach. First is lifestyle modification. Make sure you eat the appropriate foods, follow the right diet, lose weight if you need to lose weight if you have type 2 diabetes. Second of all, exercise regularly. Third of all, um, monitor your blood sugars. And fourth of all, take the right medications. So, there's a, it's a combination of diet, exercise, medications. If you have type 2 diabetes, metformin would likely be the first medication, but there are additional medications that can be added to metformin if necessary. Some, mo- many people with type 2 diabetes may ultimately need insulin as well. If you have type 1 diabetes, you have to have insulin. It's a life-saving medication, but you still have to be mindful of what you eat, and you need to exercise regularly and monitor your blood sugars. And there are 
there are uh, what we call continuous glucose monitoring systems now that allow people to continually measure their blood sugar without having to even prick their finger. You know, a common mistake that a number of people with diabetes make, and I've personally witnessed this at social events or at dinners, uh, at friends, people are having drinks and this one or two individuals are having a Diet Coke. And very politely, I say to them, why are you having a Diet Coke? Well, I have diabetes. They think by not having a regular Coke that they're doing themselves a favor. In reality, Diet Cokes increase, Diet Soda increases the risk of stroke and heart attack threefold. It changes the gut microbiome. We have 100 trillion bacteria in our GI tract. It's been called the second human genome, the inner bacterial rainforest, a newly discovered organ in aggregate weighs three pounds. It has implications in obesity, diabetes, arthritis, liver disease, autism, Alzheimer's, on and on. So a Diet Coke actually increases the blood sugar. The excursion in the blood sugar is higher than if someone was having a regular Coke. So we've put all this stuff in in the book. We thought this was very important to dispel some myths. What about the non-insulin medications? So metformin is the oldest of the non-insulin medications. And then I'm going to talk about two newer classes of medications that we believe uh, are, are game changers in terms of not only reducing glucose, but having other benefits as well. There's a, there's a class of medications called GLP-1 agonists or incretins. Uh, these are medications that uh, are related to a natural hormone that is secreted when food enters the stomach. When food enters the stomach, there, is a, there are these hormones made to help the body produce more insulin to, over, to, to keep the glucose under control. Um, and do a myriad of other things as well. These medications are given sometimes once a week by injection, sometimes daily orally, and they not only lower glucose, but they can also facilitate weight loss, and they also reduce cardiovascular complications in some people, in many people who already have cardiovascular disease, and in, also in some people who are at high risk for cardiovascular disease. Um, and the, the drug that Sanjeev was alluding to earlier is actually a combination of one of the of two particular hormones that are secreted from the st- from the intestine when food enters the stomach um, and can cause a significant amount of weight loss. Then there's another class of drugs that um, prevent the kidney from reabsorbing glucose. These are called SGLT2 inhibitors. These medications, Um, block the normal absorption of glucose from the kidney. When people have diabetes, paradoxically, they're reabsorbing more glucose from their kidneys back into the blood than under normal circumstances. And these medications block that reabsorption and they uh, cause people to pass glucose in their urine um, and that lowers the blood glucose. But interestingly enough, what these medications have also been shown to do is they have been shown to reduce the progression of kidney disease in people with diabetes who have kidney disease and have also been shown to reduce 
the uh, hospitalization for heart failure in people who might have heart failure. That is, um, the heart is not pumping as well as it should do. And funnily enough, because of these findings, these medications have now been recommended to be used in people who don't even have diabetes because they cannot make the glucose level go too low. Then there are older drugs that help the body produce more insulin, but they do increase risk um, of the insulin making the blood glucose go too low. These are called sulfonylureas. They've been around for many, many years, but they're still safe. They're very effective. They're cheap. They're generic. Um, so we have these, and there are other medications which uh, are less well, less frequently used that also lower glucose. But we have amazing medications now that can be used to help people lower their glucose, lower their weight, uh, lower, low risk of blood sugar dropping too low, and also have cardiac benefit too. Can you tell us the story of EL, the African-American male nurse? Is this the person who prevented diabetes? Yes. Yeah, this was a, well, this is an individual who was screened appropriately and was found to have prediabetes. And uh, this person decided that the thing to do is lose weight and exercise regularly and did just that with a diet and exercise program and um, her blood sugars reverted back to normal. If I'm thinking of the right of, of the person that you talk about in the book, we've got a lot of stories of patients in the book. So um, if that's the person you're talking about, then that, that's the person who prevented diabetes. But we have almost every single chapter has a story about a person related to the topic in that chapter. Yes, thank you. What is the overall message you would like the reader to leave with once they finish your book? The overall message is in the title of the book, Conquer Your Diabetes, Prevention, Control, and Remission, that diabetes is a chronic condition, but having diabetes doesn't define the person. You can live a full, rewarding, fulfilling life. You can climb mountains. You can go scuba diving. You can play golf. You can be philanthropic. You can have children, uh, healthy children. And we tell the story of an individual, uh, the same individual that Martin mentioned, who started getting insulin at a young age in Toronto. Her mother never thought she would have a full life. She married an amazing individual who took her all over the world. She, by Martin's estimate, took 120,000 injections of insulin and she was initially told that she should not have children and she actually was seen by a world-renowned expert at the Jocelyn and she conceived three. three children perfectly healthy and beautiful children so that's the message you know I think the stories bring it to life Steve Jobs once said the most powerful people in the world are storytellers. It's hardwired in our DNA. So we made it a point to have lots and lots of inspiring stories. 
There's one other thing that we, we tell in the book. Even if you want to fly an airplane commercially, you can do it today. Ten years ago, if you had diabetes and took insulin, you had no chance of being a commercial airline pilot. Today, the FAA, uh, because of the new techniques of monitoring and keeping glucose under control, the FAA has, with obviously um, certain standards being maintained, has enabled people who take insulin to fly airplanes. Um, and so there's nothing that you can't do. Well, I've taken up enough of your time. Can you tell us the next project you'll be working on? Well, we have a very interesting opportunity to work with a friend of mine who is uh, <clears throat> has a search engine using artificial intelligence where people who buy this book will for a very small fee, we haven't even decided what, 10 or $12 a year, get about 100 updates relevant to those 25 chapters. So we are in the midst of launching that. We are also almost certainly going to have this book translated into Spanish and are working with an amazing team based in Mexico City, the second largest publisher in the world. They translate thousands of books from English to Spanish and French. And we are on the verge of signing a contract with them because we feel it's very important to have it out there in the Hispanic population as well. Martin and I, together with a colleague, Richard Beezer, run an annual Harvard Medical School accredited course on diabetes and its complications. We've done this for a number of years, and we have about 250, 300 attendees from 25 countries who attend the course. So this is an ongoing um, effort, ongoing passion of ours. It's a journey. We're on our journey. And... Uh... We're, we're excited to be able to offer people who want to take advantage of the opportunity a way in which they can continually be updated as to what's happening in the field of diabetes because it's an ever-moving uh, ever field. It's a rapidly advancing field. And we feel that the reader should have the opportunity to uh, keep abreast of what's going on. Well, I'd like to thank you for this book. It's so educational. And thank you for sharing the information with me today on the podcast. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, delighted to be on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you.